Hey, this is Pastor Jason, and I want to just share with you something that has become very real to me from God's Word over the last week or so. I'm, I'm recording this not from a congregational type point of view. I'm actually just sitting in my, my home office here in eastern Germany. Um, but man, I just felt led to get on and put this on, a, on the podcast because it just, like I said, just became so real to me. And let me explain. So, you know, like many of you guys, I have just been absolutely heartbroken over the situation in Ukraine and with the war and the invasion. And, you know, just looking at the pictures, looking at the stories that are coming out of there and right now literally working with um, a Jesus mission and trying to organize or help help in a very small way get volunteers over there. It's just overwhelming. And you know, there came a point um, about a week or so ago where I just couldn't sleep really well. I'm thinking about it all the time. And um, you know, the idea of parents being separated from their children, people dying, the ramifications of, okay, are we going into World War III? What's going to happen? And I'm just frustrated. And I'm just like, God, how can this happen? Like, I know you're in control, but, but, and I know there's a plan, but I'm just, honestly, just, I was struggling. And like, what's going on? And, um, and then one morning, about a week or so ago, like I said, I got up and I'm just doing my daily reading through the word. And I just happened to be in the book of Habakkuk, <laughs> the most obscure book, right, in the Bible, Habakkuk. But God spoke to me just in my own heart and set me free in an amazing way. And I want to just in some way try to share with you um, from this book. If you know me, my tendency is to want to teach you the whole thing verse by verse, mine out every detail, but I'm going to try not to do that. I want to just give like a 30,000 foot overview of the book. And really, I want to focus in on the first paragraph of the book and the last paragraph of the book. And I'll explain, but first, let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that you are sovereign. Thank you, God that you speak into our lives, and I pray in the name of Jesus that your Holy Spirit would take over my mind, my thoughts, that you would speak to whoever's listening, whether it's one person or a hundred people, I don't know, but I pray that your Spirit would somehow just minister the truth of your word in a way that's real and powerful, and that we would just see Jesus in all of this, Lord. I, I praise you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So I'll get to the, the main point of this, but I want to just look at the book of Habakkuk. And you may or may not be familiar with it, but um, I want to just kind of, like I said, do an overview, uh, focusing in on the first uh, paragraph of the book and then ending on the last paragraph of the book and just kind of briefly kind of touch on what happens in between. So first of all, who in the heck is Habakkuk? Is that even a real name? Yes, he's actually a real guy. He was a prophet, probably right around the same time, even a contemporary with uh, Jeremiah. He was a prophet to the northern kingdom, excuse me, the southern kingdom of Israel called Judah. And he's probably writing this around the time of about 600 BC. Now, here's why this is important. 
The context is actually, the setting is actually really important. Because right around this time, right around when Habakkuk is writing this, there was a major shift happening um, as it relates to the powers that be, the world powers, the dominating powers. Sound familiar? Um, Babylon was um, replacing Assyria as the main dominating world power. At about 612 BC, Babylon destroyed the city of Nineveh. And they're kind of like on the rise. They're the up and comers. So the world powers are shifting. And the way that, the reason that that was important is because unbeknownst at this moment to Habakkuk and personally, but God was gonna raise up Babylon to actually judge Judah. Now, we know that from history. We know that Judah goes into captivity for 70 years into Babylon and was all part of God's disciplinary action on Judah. But, but he doesn't know that yet. So here's how the book begins. Let me read to you the first, um, uh, first four verses of, of Habakkuk. Chapter one, the oracle or the burden or the word that Habakkuk the prophet saw. O Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you will not hear? Or, or to you, call to you violence and you will not save. Why do you make me see the iniquity? Why do you idly look at what's wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention rise. So the law is paralyzed. Justice never goes forth. The wicked surround the righteous. So justice goes forth perverted. I don't know if you caught all of that, but basically what's happening is Habakkuk is looking at the condition of his country, condition of here they are God's people in God's land with God's promises, and there's absolute corruption all around him. You know, if you were to look outwardly in at Judah at that time, if you were just kind of on the outside looking in, it looks prosperous. There's money. The whole religious system seems to be functioning, uh, you know, without a hitch. There's a temple. There's this. But, but if you take a closer look, there was idolatry. There was corruption. There was lip service, but the heart of the people were far from God. The justice was being... There, there was no justice, he was saying. Justice was perverted. Now, here's, here's what he's saying. God, how can you just look at this and do nothing? Look at what he says. He says, he says I'm crying out to you for help, and, and, and there's violence, and there's iniquity. He says, why do you make me see it? He says, how long, verse 2? Have you ever felt like that? Have you ever looked at the situation in your own you know, country or your own, you know what, the world, you know, we have the benefit, I don't know if it's the benefit or not, of <laughs> of the internet and all the information bombarding us all the time, but have you ever felt like this? I was feeling like this, like, God, how can this be happening? What's going on? Why aren't you doing anything? Why don't you step in? And he felt like we feel sometimes that God was indifferent or that God, had just, he was just absent what is going on? And yet he, he's a prophet. I mean, this isn't this like some guy who doesn't know God. This guy knows God and he's struggling with this. Now, what's crazy about this little tiny book of Habakkuk is that for the first two chapters, it, it's almost like this dialogue back and forth. Like, 
He cries out to God. God answers him. In fact, in verses 5 through 11 of chapter 1 is is God's first response to Habakkuk's first complaint. I'll just read verse 5. It says, He says, look among the nations and see, wonder and be astonished. I am doing a work in your days that if you were told would not believe. He does go on and tell him what he's going to do. God basically says, look, I'm doing something you have no idea what I'm doing. It's so much bigger than you think. And if I told you, you wouldn't believe it. Now he goes on to tell him. Basically, I'm not going to go verse by verse here, but basically what God does is he reveals to Habakkuk that, look, I'm actually raising up the Chaldeans to judge Judah. It's not that I don't see what's going on. I'm not indifferent. Nobody's getting away with anything. I'm actually about to bring judgment. Now, if Habakkuk was concerned before, now he's really concerned. Like, like God's response was not super comforting to him. Because he's basically goes on in verses 12 through 17 to have the second complaint. And basically what he says is, what? Okay, time out. Pump the brakes. God, yeah, we're bad, but they're really bad. Like, how could you possibly use them as your instrument to correct us when they are pagan idolaters? And he just goes on and on about how they're, they worship the God of like, you know, their, their various gods and their, their power and their might and their military basically is their God. Um, look at verse 11. He says, then they, they sweep like the wind and go on guilty men whose own might is their God. Habakkuk is just beside himself. Like that was not the, the answer that I was looking for. Hang in there with me. Then comes chapter two. Chapter two, it's, it's a great verse actually. Um, starting in verse one, he says, I will take my stand at the watch post and my station, I will station myself on the tower and I'll look out to see what he will say to me and what I will answer concerning my complaint. So after his initial complaint and God's initial response, he's blown away and he says, I, I'm gonna go just hide myself away. I'm gonna basically go up to this tower and I'm gonna lock myself in there until I hear from God and basically like what I should say about all of this stuff. Like he, he basically is like, Lord, help me to hear you and help me to process this and help me to get a vision of what you're doing. And so he goes in verse two, he says, um, um, well, excuse me, in verse one still, he says, um, I'll look to see what he will say to me that I will answer how I should answer concerning my complaint. So what happens is he does this and God actually answers him and gives him this, this vision in verse in chapter two and it stretches from basically verse three all the way through verse 20. Now again, I'm not gonna go through this whole thing, but here's what I do wanna say. In this chapter, basically, without getting into it completely right now, God says, yes, I'm going to use Babylon to be my instrument of judgment on Judah but need to understand something that huh, they're not going to get away with anything either. That, that even though Judah is going to be judged by Babylon, there's coming a day of reckoning for Babylon as well. Like God sees their sin. God sees what's going on. And so in fact, in chapter three, uh, two, um, one of the ways to outline it is there's actually five different woes that are kind of pronounced upon um, Habakkuk, or excuse me, on um, 
Babylon, um, there's this woe against their greed and their violence. There's woe against their murder for gain. There's woe against their drunkenness and there's woe against their idolatry. And God basically says, look, they're not gonna get away with anything. Can I just say this real quick? When we look at the injustice of the world, when we look at the oppression of the poor, oppression of people by tyrants or by, you know, maybe on a big scale, like the war that's going on, or on a small scale, injustice in the workplace, you know, and um, whatever it might be. Can I just remind us of something? God sees it. God sees it. And nobody gets away with anything in the end. God is just and God is righteous. And that's what he reminds Habakkuk of. He's like, look, I'm using them, but they're gonna actually overstep their boundaries and I'm gonna judge them as well. And he does. I mean, if you go back and look at world history. But back to the story, like chapter two divides itself. There's like five different woes, but then there's also, now this is how I put it. This is just kind of my own, the way I think. But embedded in those five woes of chapter two, there's also three wows. What I mean by that is you read three different verses in, in, embedded into this chapter and you go, wow, that's huge. In fact, look at verse four. He says, behold, his soul, referring to Babylon and the sinful, wicked people, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him. But, and that's a hinge word. He's about to say something big. The righteous shall live by his faith. Now in the context, what he's doing is contrasting like, yes, these wicked guys are doing this and doing that, but I'm telling you the righteous, the just, those who are mine, they will live by faith. They will trust in me regardless of what's going on around them. They'll keep their eyes on me and not be blown away by what's happening with these wicked people around them. Now, by the way, that verse is quoted three times in the New Testament. Some have called it one of the most, if, I don't know if you can say this about a verse, but some have said that this is one of the most important verses in the Bible because it's used in Romans chapter one, Galatians three, Hebrews 10. Paul grabs onto this verse as like a bedrock verse for the, the doctrine of salvation by faith alone, or in Christ alone by faith alone, as opposed to works. It's a verse that absolutely radically changed Martin Luther's life when he realized it's not about works, it's about faith. But in this context, he's talking about trusting God in the midst of what was happening. The second wow verse of chapter two is verse 14. He says, the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the water covers the sea. Stay with me. <laughs> Hang in there. But did you catch that? In the midst of this declaration of woe and judgment that was coming on Babylon, he says, but the whole earth is gonna be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord like water covers the, the earth. What? Now, when God did pour out judgment on Babylon and God does return his people to the land, like, yeah, God got glorified, but not in this way. Guys, verse 14 it's talking about something even bigger. This is looking, Habakkuk's having this vision and looking beyond what he does with Babylon and Judah. And guys, what it's referring to is the return of Jesus Christ. That Jesus Christ is gonna come, 
He is going to establish his righteous kingdom on this earth. And, and guys, we need to remember that. He came once. Jesus came once. And he died for our sins and he raised from the dead and he left. But do not ever forget that he promised he's coming back. As a Christian, I'm always thinking about the rapture when he takes us up to be with him. But sometimes we forget that he's coming back to this earth. We will come with him. He will physically come back to this earth. He will physically rule and reign from Jerusalem in righteousness for a thousand years. And he's going to judge the nations that have opposed him. That's really going to happen. In verse 20, it says, And the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. So in the midst of this idea of judgment, of craziness, here's these three wows. He says, you got to live by faith. You got to keep your eyes on the bigger picture that he's coming back. And number three, verse 20, God is in his holy temple. What's he talking about? God is sovereign. He is sovereign. He is not some far removed God that doesn't know what's going on. He sees what's happening. His hand is in it, even though we don't understand. Now, let me say this. Chapter two is where things change for Habakkuk. Chapter two is where, you know, in the beginning in chapter one, he was absolutely in consternation. He's complaining. He doesn't understand. There's confusion. But now clarity is starting to set in. And he's hearing from the Lord. And I suggest that there's those three things are really the turning point. That he has to remember, it's by faith. I can't be shaken by my circumstances. I've got to trust the Lord. Not trust the Lord that everything's going to be honky-dory and I'm not going to have any problems in life, but just trust the Lord because he's good and he's trustworthy regardless of circumstances. And number two, the Lord's coming back. We've got to keep our eyes on the fact that everything that's happening around us is happening according to a grand plan. Gosh, I, I hope that, you, that you're somewhat familiar with Bible prophecy because as we see the events unfolding in the world right now with Ukraine and Europe and more importantly Israel, God is about to do something big. Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming soon. And the whole world is going to see the glory of God. Every knee is going to bow before Jesus when he comes. And then lastly, verse 20, the sovereignty of God. God is in control. And I suggest to you that when, when Habakkuk heard this, the just shall live by faith, the glory of the Lord is coming, and God is in his holy temple, it changed him. He shifted because when you get to chapter three, chapter three is so glorious, man. I wish we could just take a couple hours to go through it. But in chapter three, it, it divides itself in, in, in this way. There's prayer, pondering, and praise. In verses one through two, there's this amazing prayer. Let me read it to you. He says, oh Lord, I have heard the report of you and your work, oh Lord, do I fear. In the midst of, your year, of the years, revive it. In the midst of the years, make it known. And then listen to this. He says, in wrath, remember mercy. I love this prayer. Habakkuk says, I remember what you've done. I think about your exploits. I think back to the amazing things. We've heard of all these crazy things you've done. The, the way you saved. He's, you know, he's referring to his nation, to his people. In fact, we'll talk about it in a second, but that's what the, most of the, the chapter's dealing with is thinking back about how God worked in, the, in that nation. 
how he delivered them, how he saved them, how he, how he was like forceful yet merciful. And, and now he's heard what God's about to do. And he says, God, I've heard of your work and, and, I, and you've told me that you're working. Lord, revive your work. Do your saving power. Keep going with what you're doing. But then he adds in there, in, in wrath, remember mercy. I know these things have to happen. I know you're gonna judge us. I know you're gonna judge Babylon, he might say. But in the midst of all of it, Would you remember mercy? And guys, I love this prayer. When I think about what God has done in the past, since then, in the United States, in Europe, in the world, how God has brought revivals at various times, even though there's corruption and injustice and violence to a a crazy degree, even right now, I say, Lord, I know you've got to judge. I know you're coming. I know a lot of this bad stuff's gotta happen. It's coming according to your plan. But in the midst of all of it, oh God, remember mercy. Remember mercy. Don't you wanna see that, you guys? Yeah, there's a lot of really horrific things happening right now. And honestly, a lot of this stuff is what the Bible said would be happening right before Jesus comes back. We're in it. And we say, I think, God, do what you're gonna do. Revive your work, but revive us. Bring mercy. Guys, we need to pray that in these last days, God pours out his Holy Spirit in another revival to rescue people from the clutches of the enemy, to populate the kingdom of God because our king is coming. He's coming, he's coming, he's coming. And when he comes and when every eye sees him, man, not everybody's gonna be happy when they see the king coming, only those who belong to his kingdom. Guys, let's pray for this. God, revive your work, but remember mercy. You gotta bring judgment, but remember mercy. Wherever you're living right now, whatever you're about right now, pray that God would revive your heart and pray that God would have mercy on those who are around you. God has sent you as an ambassador right where you're living right now for the kingdom of God. Ah, okay, it's gotta keep going, almost done. Chapter three, I'm not gonna talk about it too much, but basically from verses three through 16, he's pondering, I mentioned it. He's thinking about all the stuff that God has done. Now, by the way, um, when he thought about all that God had done, that bolstered his faith that, oh man, God, if you did it then, you can do it again. Isn't that true? In your own life, isn't that true? When you're all worried about, oh God, what are you doing in my life? What's happening in the world? But then when you start to think about all the answers to prayer, all the good things God has done in your life, all the blessings that he sent your way, doesn't it just build your faith? Doesn't it just like, don't you have to do that sometimes? It's healthy to do that. Um, Sometimes I throw pity parties and it sucks because nobody comes except for me. My wife never, I invite her to my pity parties and she never comes. (laughs) Maybe you feel that way. When I'm in a pity party kind of mood and I begin to think about all that God has done for me, I cannot help but just be blessed. And and that's what he does. But also, I'll just kind of tease you with this, but as you read through Habakkuk Habakkuk chapter three and he is reviewing, pondering all that God has done in the past, there's also little (laughs) glimpses of what he's about to do in the future. For example, verse 12, he says, you march through the earth in fury, you thresh the nations in anger. 
Yeah, there's some Old Testament references to that, the kind of judgment. But guys, nothing compared to what he's about to do. God's coming. And, and when Jesus comes, he's going to judge this world and it's not going to be pretty. Then we come to the end. Habakkuk chapter 3, verses 17 through 19. And, and if you didn't really care or missed what I said before, man, listen now. It says in chapter 3, verse 17, he declares, after all this, though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit beyond the vines, the produce of the olive fail, the fields yield no food, the flock cut off from the fold, and there is no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on the high places. Those verses, verses 17 through 19, are some of the most beautiful verses, in my opinion, ever penned in the Bible. It's one of the greatest declarations of faith and praise in the Bible. He basically says in verse 17, worst case scenario, no, tr you know, all the things he talks about, like the fig tree and the vines and the, and the um, you know, the herds and the flocks, that, that was their livelihood. That meant money, that meant life, that meant sustenance, like no crops, no herds, no fruit on the trees. I mean, that means they have no food. This is like worst case scenario. And he says, look, if everything fails, if everything fails, yet, verse 18, I will rejoice in the Lord. What, what a, a, an absolute statement of resolve, of, of, of volition. I will rejoice. Why? Because you're the God of my salvation. You have saved me. You're saving me now. And you're going to save me later. And nothing's going to change that. You are the God of my salvation. And I will rejoice you even if my outward circumstances are the worst case scenario. Oh my goodness. I don't know about you. I want to live that way. I want to be there. I'm so easily thrown off, you guys, when... when one little thing goes wrong in my life or one little you know, need arises and I start to question God about everything. Oh, how I want this in my life. I want to live in this place. I want to live in the place where I say, regard. I don't bring the worst case scenario into my life, yet I will have a heart of rejoicing because God is good and he has saved me. When I think that I should be in hell because of my sin and the God of the universe loved me enough to die for me on the cross and raise from the dead and accept me and love me and forgive me and impute to me the very righteousness of Jesus, what in the world could I ever complain about? And yet I do. Oh, I love this. I love this verse. Verse 18, I will. He says, I love, and then he just brags. He says in verse 19, God, the Lord, that's a reference to his name, Jehovah, the great I am. He's my strength. Who's your strength? Oh, God, Jehovah, the Lord, creator of the universe, the great I am. He's the one who strengthens me. And listen, he's the one who strengthens you. He is our strength. He is our God, the same God of Habakkuk is my God, 
and your God if you've made him your Lord and Savior. And that's how he ends. Guys, I, I mean, when you look at it just in this simple way, in chapter one, verses one through four, he's full of consternation. He is complaining. God, where are you? What about all the injustice? How long are you gonna look at this? And then you flip over to chapter three and he says, you know what? Come worst case scenario, I'm just gonna praise you and rejoice and be glad in you because you're the God of my salvation and the, the Lord Jehovah is my strength. Man, I don't know if you're living in chapter one today or if you're living somewhere in the middle or if you're living in chapter three, but I just wanna encourage you today. If you're questioning like Habakkuk did, you know, it's pretty normal. He's not alone in this. I could rattle off three or four other places in the Bible where people are like, why are the wicked prospering, you know, and the righteous are suffering? It's okay to question, I think. It's okay, but listen, don't stay there. Don't stay there. When was he transformed from complaining to clarity? You know, from confusion to clarity, from, from complaining to praise, I should say. It's when he desperately sought God in prayer and he heard God's word. Can I just encourage you, if you're living in chapter one, so to speak, it's okay, it's, it's okay in a sense. It's normal. But don't stay there. Cry out to God. Go seek God. Turn off your phone. Turn off this podcast. Turn Go spend some time with God, open his word and read it and don't come out until you've heard from him. Do what Habakkuk did. You know, personally, when was I met? I was in this place, maybe not at the same exact thing as Habakkuk, but you know what? God met me in his word. God met me in his prayer, in prayer. And guys, may we live in chapter three. May we just be there. Look, I'm not trying to make light of anybody's circumstances. God knows my heart goes out to those who are, who've lost their homes and their families and are on the run. Three million refugees right now at this point. I'm not trying to make light of any of that. I'm not trying to make light of your situation. You might be far removed from all of that stuff, but you're going through your own crisis. I'm not making light of that. This wasn't easy for Habakkuk. The circumstances were hard, but guys, it is possible for us as believers to still, in the midst of all, maybe even with tears in our eyes, still rejoice in God because he's the God of our salvation. He's our strength. Oh man, I wanna live there. And again, just reviewing. Listen, remember, the just shall live by faith. You gotta trust him. Number two, his glory is coming. He's coming. The whole world's gonna see it. Number three, he's sovereign. He's in control. Man, I hope that encourages you. Uh, I took a long time to get to a simple point, but I hope it encourages you. Um, let me pray for you. May God bless you, keep you, make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you and lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. And Father, we pray in Jesus' name that you would just let this go from our head to our heart. I pray for anybody right now that is just wrestling, grappling with the fact that they're struggling with what they see around them. How can this be happening? How long, oh God? But I pray in the name of Jesus, you would meet them, Lord. As believers, God, that we wouldn't stay in that place of confusion and con you know, uh, conflict and complaining, that we would move on, Lord, to rejoicing and trusting in the midst of hard things, Lord. Lord, we do pray for the situation in Ukraine and 
Europe and around the world, Lord, we pray, oh God, have mercy. Have mercy on those who are just suffering. Have mercy, God. Show us how we can be a blessing. Show us how we can help. We love you. We praise you. Bless my brothers and sisters who are listening right now. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you guys.